Hello, welcome to God Day. I'm Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. And um, I thought it would be great to, to share some stories of salvation that uh, I believe are, are true stories, um, but also that shed light on uh, different truths of our wonderful salvation through Jesus. And um, the first one I want to share with you is about uh, in the 1920s, a man called John Griffiths uh, in, his, in his early 20s, just got married, full of optimism, and then this great uh, crash, financial crash happened in 1929. Uh, he lost his job, his dreams were devastated, and he had to move east to the Mississippi River to find a job there to uh, to look after one of the great well, railway, uh, railroad bridges that crossed the great river Mississippi. And uh, he would sit every day in the control room and as he would pull the lever uh, to let the barges and the ships go through and then he would close the bridge to let the trains go across. And so then the next, the next great event in his life is that his his, his son that had been born was now eight years old and now he could join him uh, at work. And uh, he was looking forward to spending this time together with his son as they, uh, as they looked after the bridge. And, you know, he was uh, looking forward to telling the stories of, of all the different ships and where they were going. And his son was very proud of his father controlling such an amazing structure and uh, soon it was noon and uh, he had just opened the bridge for some ships to pass and uh, he had a bit of time and so they headed off to lunch together they went down to an observation deck and they watched the ships passing below and uh, they were having a great time together and then suddenly he heard the whistle of a distant train he had lost track of time and he realized that this train was bang on time and the bridge was still raised. And this uh, Memphis Express was just a few minutes away and he was in panicking. And, and he said, son, just stay still, don't move. I've got to run up to the control house and close the bridge. So he made sure the river was clear of ships and then uh, looked down and horrified, he saw that his son had actually tried to climb up to be with him and in the massive gearbox that controlled the bridge, that moved this gigantic bridge, was his beloved son. He had got wedged between the teeth of the two main cogs in the gearbox and um, he was bleeding and uh, now he was faced with this horrendous choice because he knew that if he was to lower the bridge, he would crush his own son to death, his beloved son. And he, and he thought, well, maybe there's time. I can quickly rush down and grab my son and rush him back. Uh, and then as soon as he thought about that, he realized that was futile because this train with 400 passengers was, was just moving too fast. And if he didn't close the bridge, these 400 passengers would die. 
But this was his only son, his precious son, his pride and joy. And he could just imagine the boy's mother as well. Uh, but if he saved his son, if he spared his son, then he would have to let all these other people die. And so he realized there's only one thing he could do. And so burying his face under his arm, he plunged down the lever and his son was crushed to death and his cries were drowned by the sound of the bridge as it ground into position. And just with seconds to spare, the Memphis Express came out of the trees and roared across the, the bridge. And he looked up and he looked into the, the carriages of the train and he saw a businessman reading his newspaper and the conductor looking at his watch. The ladies were sip, sipping their tea and uh, others were playing cards. A boy was eating ice cream. They were in idle conversation or having a laugh. No one looked his way. No one realized the sacrifice that he had just made. Uh, no one even looked to the giant gearbox where his son had suffered and died. So they might be saved. And in anger, he pounded the glass in the control room and he cried out, what's, what's wrong with you people? Don't you care? Don't you know that I've sacrificed my son for you? But no one answered, no one heard, no one seemed to care. And soon the train was off into the distance. And this is just a little picture, really, of what God the Father did in sacrificing his own beloved son, Jesus, for us, so that we would not die, but have forgiveness and eternal life. You know the Bible says, John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his only begotten son to die for us, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And, and there's one verse, Lamentations 1.12, that is, particularly fits this story. It, and it's really prophetic words of Jesus speaking, saying, Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which has been brought on me, which the Lord has inflicted in the day of his fierce anger. Jesus took our death, our punishment on the cross. And he says, look, realize what I've done for you. Don't count it as nothing. This is for you, I died for you. Well, God, John Griffin was taken by surprise, but God wasn't taken by surprise. In his great love and in his purpose, he knew that we would be lost. And so he planned and purposed to sacrifice his own son, Jesus, for us. That's how much God loves you, that he would be willing to sacrifice his son. As it says in Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, we didn't deserve it, Christ died for us. And, uh, and again, the, the Bible says that he who did not spare his own son, will he not also freely with us, with him, freely give us all things? If God loved us so much that he didn't withhold his son, but gave his son to die for us, 
Will he not also fulfill all his promises to us? He will give us all things. Hallelujah. So thank God for, for his love. You know, I'm thinking of another story about a son. Um, it's, it's a story about a wealthy man. And um, he and his son were so close. And they loved to collect rare works of art. And they had all, all the best famous painters in their collection. And they would often sit and admire these works of art. And then the Vietnam War broke out and the son went to war. And, and he was very courageous and he died in battle while rescuing another soldier. And the father was, was not, notified. And of course, he grieved deeply for his son, his only son. And about a month later, just before Christmas, there was a knock at the door. And there was a young man there with a big package in his hands. And he, and he said, so you don't know me, but I'm the soldier for whom your son died. Your son laid down your life. He saved many lives that day. And he was carrying me to safety when the bullet struck him in the heart and he died instantly. And, and we were friends and he often talked about you and your love for art. And he, and he held out this package and he said, I know it isn't much. I'm not really a great artist, but I think your son would have wanted you to have this. And in the package was a portrait of the son, of the father's son, painted by this young man. And, and he had actually captured, it, was, it wasn't like a valuable painting, but he had captured the personality of his son in the painting. And the father, it was so precious to the father. Uh, and he thanked the son and he offered to pay for the picture, but he said, no, I can't never repay what your son did for me. He, he died for me. Uh, and so he said, it's a gift. And so from then on, it was the favorite painting of the, of the father. Whenever the visitors would come to the house, he would show this and say, look, this is my son. And even before all the other paintings. Well, the, the, the father, he died uh, a, a bit later. And then there was a great auction of all his paintings. Many influential people were there because he had some really special paintings by Raphael and other great artists. And uh, they were excited to see all these, these wonderful paintings. And um, they thought maybe I could purchase one at a good price. But on the platform sat the painting of the sun. And of course, this by comparison wasn't worth much to these people. Uh, they didn't know, see the value in this painting. And the auctioneer pounded his gavel and said, well, we're going to start the bidding with this painting of the sun. Who will make a bid for this picture? Uh, and there was silence. I mean, nobody was interested in this unknown artist. Um, and then a voice from the back shouted, we want to see the famous paintings. Come on, move on. But he said, no, we must sell this painting. Who will start the bidding? Hundred pound? Another voice said, we didn't come to see this painting. Get on with the real paintings. And again, the auctioneer said, the sun. Who will take the sun? That was the name of the painting, of course. Finally, there was a voice from the back of the room. It was actually the longtime gardener of the man who had loved the, the sun growing up. 
and, and, but he wasn't very wealthy. So he said, look, I'll give 10 pounds for the painting. That's all he could afford. We have 10 pounds, said the auctioneer. Who will bid 20 pounds? Give it, they crowd out. Give it to him for 10 pounds. Let's see the real paintings. Uh, won't anyone give 20 pounds? And the crowd said, said, get on with it. Uh, and uh, the auctioneer then pounded the gavel and he said, going once, going twice, sold for 10 pounds. And the man sitting on the second row said, let's get on now with the collection. But the auctioneer then put down his gavel and said, I'm sorry, the auction is now over. And uh, they said, well, what about all the other paintings? I'm sorry. He says, I've, I'm under instructions. When I was called to conduct this auction, I was told of a secret stipulation in the Father's will. I wasn't allowed to reveal that until now. And that stipulation was that only the painting of the Son would be auctioned. Whoever bought that painting would then inherit the entire estate, including all the rest of those paintings. In other words, the man who took the Son gets everything. And you know, God gave his son 2,000 years ago, you know, to die on a cruel cross for us. And now his message today is that, like the auctioneer is, is the son. Who will take the son? Because you see, whoever takes the son, whoever receives the son of God, gets everything else as well. Every blessing is in the son. Life, healing, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, it's in the Son. We want these things, but these things, you can't detach those things from the Son of God. In other words, we want victory, we want healing, we want blessing, we want righteousness and all these things, but the Bible says the Lord is our victory, the Lord is our peace, the Lord is our righteousness, the Lord is our sanctifier, the Lord is our shepherd. In other words, if you want these things, these guidance, this wisdom, this healing, this salvation, you have to receive the Lord because he is these things. And when you receive the Lord, you then receive everything else too, you see. So to receive salvation, his name is Jesus. Salvation's name is Jesus. And when you receive Jesus, you receive salvation. And, and 1 John 5:11 says this, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So all of God's life, all of God's blessings are in Christ. And if you are to have salvation and forgiveness and eternal life, you have to receive Christ, the Son of God. You have to know him as the Son of God and receive him as the Son of God and love him as the Son of God and then you will have life and you will have everything. Praise God. Thanks be to God for his wonderful gift. God gave his very best to us, his own Son, that whoever believes in him and receives him has eternal life. What John 1.12 says, that those who received Jesus who believed in his name, were born of God. Praise God, they become a child of God. And so 
Religion is trying to do different works of performance to, to get points with God, to earn a place with God, and it's all about you and what you can do. But Christian, true Christianity is Jesus. And Jesus who offers himself to you as a free gift and he says, I've died for your sins, I've risen from the dead, and I offer myself to you. And if you will receive me as your Lord and Savior, you, you will then have everything. You'll have forgiveness, you'll have eternal life. He who that has the Son has life. Praise God, what an offer. But you are actually receiving a person. When you're receiving salvation, you're receiving a person, a person who loves you, who died for you, who lives for you. And when you receive the person called Jesus by his spirit, he comes inside you and he gives you a brand new life and a brand new start and eternal life. Praise God. And, and so I, I love that story. Um, I just want to share an, another story, praise God, with you uh, about salvation. And uh, it's from the, the, the story of the bridge over the river Kwai. And um, this again is, is a true story from the World War II. And this is when the Japanese invaded Burma. And uh, they took thousands of uh, troops, prisoners. And the guards were cruel and uh, inhumane, really, to the prisoners. After a grueling day's work, and they were all on starvation rations, all the prisoners were lined up. And, and the, command, the commander was angry, mad, because a shovel was missing. And uh, one of the, he assumed one of the prisoners had stolen it. So he shouted and he said, the thief must step forward and he will be shot immediately. And if he doesn't own up, then all the others will be put on half rations. And, and that would be a death sentence because they're already on the limit, the starvation limit anyway. And they were being worked to death. And so they would have no hope of survival. So when he had finished his tirade, there, a man stepped forward and he was immediately shot as a thief. Then, <laughs> and only then, did they do a recount of the shovels, and guess what? They found that there wasn't a shovel missing after all. The man who stepped forward was clearly innocent of this charge, but he willingly took the punishment. He willingly paid the penalty for a crime that he didn't commit. Why? So that he could save all the others from certain death. He died, in other words, so that they might live. And this is a tremendous example how one man, out of love, as it were, for his fellow men, um, totally innocent, he died for the sake of others. He died so that they could live. And this is just a little picture of what Jesus did for us. He came and he took our punishment on the cross. He died so that we might live. Thank God for Jesus. That's what he did on the cross. He loved you and he took your place and he took the penalty for your sins and he died for you. I like to describe it like this in what I would call the record book, that if this book here represents my life, this hand represents me. God loves me. He wants a relationship with me, but there's a problem. 
This book is a record book of my whole life. Everything I've ever thought, said and done, everything I should have done that I didn't do, it's all recorded here in God's book. And God has a book on your life too. And uh, the problem is this cuts me off from God. I'm separated from God because on the one hand, God loves me and wants a relationship with me. He wants me to go to heaven. But on the other hand, God is just and he must punish my sin. And that means sending me to hell. And so this is a problem. But God solved this problem in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God, eternal in the heavens. And the Bible says that Jesus in the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then it says the Word became a man. Jesus became a man and he lived among us. He was born of a virgin and he lived a perfect life and he healed the sick and he did many great miracles. And, you know, he gave the greatest teaching ever. But the most important thing that he did was when he died on the, on the cross. The Bible says that all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. On the cross, Jesus took our sin. He paid the penalty for our sin and purchased a place in heaven for us. Praise God. And then, then it says that he died he was buried and our sins, our sins were buried with him. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead and he is alive forevermore. And he now offers you his free gift of eternal life. Jesus is alive. He's risen from the dead and he gives you, he offers you his free gift of eternal life. And, and we, you have to just receive that free gift by faith. You know, what is faith? Faith is simply believing the good news. If you believe that good news, that Jesus is the Son of God, He died for your sins, He rose from the dead, then, then you have faith, or at least the beginnings of faith. But faith is also trusting in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life. You, do, you can't get saved by trusting in yourself, in you being good enough, or trusting in your church, or trusting in the fact that you were born as a certain nationality, all of that's irrelevant. Only, only Christ can save you, and you must put your trust in Christ alone for eternal life. And, and it's like, if you can just imagine if I was standing up right now, that would be a picture of me trusting in myself, standing on my own two feet. And then even though I might believe that this chair that I'm sitting on exists, it wouldn't be holding me up. And you know, it's not enough to believe that Jesus exists, even that he died on the cross. The chair, which is a picture of Jesus, will only hold you up if you sit on it. You have to transfer your trust from yourself and put all your trust in Jesus Christ. Praise God. And then he will hold you up for all eternity. If you trust in yourself, your sins will bring you down into hell. But if you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, he will forgive you. 
and he will give you his eternal life. And so put your trust in Jesus Christ alone. You dare not trust in anyone else. The cross tells you that all your best efforts are worthy of crucifixion. And let me encourage you to pray. I'm going to just pray right now a prayer where you can put your trust in Jesus for your salvation. If, if you've not prayed this before, let me especially encourage you. Just say these words to God. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. You are the Son of God. And I admit that I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. But right now, I put all my trust in you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And you rose from the dead. And right now, I receive you into my heart to be my Savior. Please forgive me of all my sins. And I receive you as my Lord. You are God. Please sit on the throne of my heart. I give my life to you. I submit my heart to you. And I thank you, Lord, for saving me. I receive your free gift of eternal life. Thank you, Lord. And I declare that Jesus Christ is my Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. And if you prayed that, or if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ from your heart, uh, and you've committed your heart to him uh, for your eternal life, then the Bible says you are a child of God. You are born of God. And that means you are now a citizen of heaven. You belong in the kingdom of God. Praise God. And now you are forgiven. You are made right with God. You have peace with God. Now just live a life accordingly. God sets you free from condemnation so that you might give, live a life loving God, putting God first. So honor God in your life and, and live as a child of God, a saved someone who has been saved. Let the rest of your life be your gratitude to God for loving you and saving you. Praise God. And you will enjoy your future. Praise God. And when you come to the end of this life, you will enjoy heaven for all eternity. Hallelujah. Thank God for God's grace and his goodness and his salvation. And if you receive the Son, you receive everything else into the bargain too. It's wonderful. Praise God. God bless you.